Welcome to the Sigil and Blade podcast, the official Black Candle Games podcast. I'm your host, Jerry. And I'm Ben. And uh, tonight we're going to start off uh, really quick and give you some project updates and then introduce our guest for the evening. Um, I just want to say that Dead in the Damned development is on track for the playtest packet to be available on uh, Halloween, so October 31st. Uh, We'll drop that on Patreon. Patrons will uh, have access to it two weeks before everybody else. Um, And just so that everybody knows, as far as projects I'm involved with, Crucible is uh, still going to happen, but it's on the back burner uh, until Dead and the Damned is is finished. Um, And then uh, also just another side note, we did some minor updates to uh, our Patreon. You can follow along now, whether you pay or not. It's open, uh, so tell your friends. Uh, they can keep up with the uh, development process and stuff like that. As long as we are posting publicly, they'll be able to check it out. Um, and then also later on the year, uh, we will probably actually uh, get to ep- issue one. Not, not Not this year, I'm sorry. Next year, issue one of the Seance Zine, hopefully quarter one of 2024. Um, and then last little update for me is I made a micro solo RPG set in the world of the Dead and the Damned uh, for your enjoyment. So go check it out. It's up on Patreon. Uh, and also pretty soon it'll be up on itch.io as well as our Patreon store for uh, pay what you want. I think, Ben, you've got an update on Hell Patrol. Yeah, so a little bit of an update. I made the terrible mistake of switching game systems that I want to use for Hell Patrol, the (laughs) sci-fi semi-horror-based game. But luckily, it's made by the same person. So instead of using Shadow of the Demon Lord, I'm looking at using... Weird Wizard. Weird Wizard, which just finished its Kickstarter recently. So it adds a little bit of work uh, only from the class sense of things but i think the rules will be much more streamlined and uh approachable for players so nice all right so all those being said let me introduce our guest tonight so it's a new format for us we're going to be having guests on instead of just the two of us talking uh which i'm sure gets monotonous and we need somebody to keep us in check so uh, tonight, the illustrious uh, Mr. Stan Osipov, a.k.a. Bebo Sloth. Uh, Stan, welcome to the show. How are you this evening? Hey, guys. I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. I'm stoked to be here. Very cool. So if you guys don't know Stan, um, you should go check him out on Instagram and YouTube and on in all the places. He uh, has done a lot of work for us in the art department. He He's awesome all around, especially if you love skeletons i'd say if you love skeletons you've probably already seen his artwork (laughs) um but i just wanted to kick the show off and just do some icebreakers and say like you know it's it's october halloween's around the corner i know that all three of us enjoy a good horror movie and by good sometimes i mean you know debatably very bad but fun uh which also means good so i'll ask you guys what uh what have you watched? Maybe I would say this season, but I know that people have been busy. So just of recent memory, I would say what's the the best and the worst horror you've seen? So uh, I watched recently the two babysitter films um, uh, and they've really kind of hit a good spot of high quality versus a little bit of goofiness in a horror film. Mm hmm. Uh, so I've really been enjoying that. Uh, are, are those the like modernish ones? They're set in the eighties, I think. They're or, set in the eighties, but they were they were made within like the last like decade or five years yeah, or so, right? Yeah, like with the okay, past few I've years. I've seen those. Yeah, those yeah. are fun. Uh, and I run a, a bad movie group that watches a marathon of movies at least once a month. Uh, and recently we saw a film called The Dark Lurking. Uh, you probably haven't heard of it and no one should watch it because it's terrible. Uh, like I enjoy a good, bad movie, right? Like something that is entertaining, but not necessarily well-made sort of thing. Um, right. The, the room is like that or uh, any Neil Breen movie. This oh, one, man, I don't Neil yeah. Breen. <laughs> Neil Breen. I was about to say, <laughs> what defines a good, bad movie? <laughs> yeah. I give Neil Breen movies five stars every time I see it. 
just because <laughs> I he he must be on something. I don't know what it would be, but um, yeah, The Dark Lurking is a sci-fi film that wants to be every other sci-fi film ever made. You could literally pick a scene by which movie they decided to go with. Like, it was mostly Aliens, a little bit of Predator. Uh, like, there was, like, weird Star Trek, Starship Trooper references in it. And it just, it, it, it was so entertaining that I think we ended up stopped watching it at one point. So, Dang, the, uh, the, the cover is pretty unapologetically alien. Yeah, yeah. You, you go in thinking it's going to be an alien film, and uh, it it does not do that. Like it, it. I think there's tremor references in it. There's like, you like throw a dart oh, wow. at a board, and like this. The yeah. CGI is terrible. And normally, like, I don't give a crap about like the quality of like effects if in a low budget film. Normally, like, mm-hmm. it's just pure entertainment value. Is it entertaining? and this just did not do it like it did not give anything back to you for watching this film (laughs) just takes your time exactly (laughs) that's exactly what it is just steals time from you (laughs) kind of of like dear god no oh my god yes exactly it was exactly like dear god no like totally missed the point of like these types of films Uh, I guess there was just something about 2010 2011 yeah you know, made, made people make <laughs> terrible movies uh, i'll give you the the cover and this will tie into one of our topics later but the cover like the box art for this looks all right like it looks like it has some production value to it but and yeah and so not. a lot of the movies we choose are based on either trailers or cover art like that sort of thing and this one just did not work out at all Sam, what about you? Uh, so for for the best, I I when, when I'm working, I like to just put on movies in the background. Um, mm-hmm. And on Netflix, there's this thing called Guillermo del Toro's like Cabinet of Curiosities or something. Oh yeah. And I think episode five is called Pickman's Model, and uh, we got the talented Crispin Glover playing pikmin and he uh not pikmin the video game but you you guys i was gonna say clarity we're not talking about adorable little plant people are we yeah it's uh it's that short lovecraft story about a about an artist who just paints and draws really macabre really gory stuff and people are like hey what are you doing that for and he's like well you know i just draw what i see Hmm. and um it's it's good for for a variety of reasons. Um, I I think it's it's good because a Crispin Glover's in it and he does the f- fucking weirdest accent that I've ever heard, and <laughs> he's creepy and the visual effects are delightful, and I like art uh, art horror. Like there's that one video game where you play as an artist and you're like stuck in this kind of creepy house and you have to like go around and collect the brushes the paints and then you have to return to the easel and you have to like yes. paint i can't remember what it's called it's kind of older but layers of layers fear. of fear yeah layers of yeah. fear yeah the first one um sufficiently creepy game but the the this this like little movie is great because it's actually it's actually it gets under your skin it's kind of it's kind of gnarly I definitely recommend watching. I don't want to give too much away, but it's one of the better adaptations of Lovecraft visually that I've that I've seen. Okay. And for yeah, worst, I, oh sorry. No, I was just gonna say I started watching that Del Toro series because I still think that Del Toro is kind of a a, a modern master of horror. Like he hasn't everything he hasn't made isn't amazing, but I think consistently really good and i only i think it only got to the first or second episode about like rats yeah uh, and then i like totally forgot that it existed so thank you for the reminder i'm gonna go watch the rest of that yeah i definitely i definitely would recommend it like they're not all super great but they're i would say the majority of the of the those movies are pretty pretty awesome nice sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but go on okay so the worst 
is Puppet Master Nine Axis of Evil. <laughs> I, it, I don't even know. It can't even. I, I feel like it, it shouldn't even be considered a horror movie. It only carries the title of the, you know, of the horror movies, the Puppet Master movies, which are kind of like that campy kind of. You don't know whether you're supposed to laugh or be scared by mm-hmm, puppets, right. you know, killing people. But this one has so little murder and so little suspense and so much just bad acting where (laughs) it almost seems like nobody memorized their lines. They're almost like reading title cards like off camera. It's Mm. it's just that bad. And there's there's just not a lot of there's there's not a lot of centered around like the puppets. Uh, It's just this kind of this weird intrigue of like oh it's it's during world war Two and something's happening but we don't really know what and it's just you wonder you sit there and you wonder how it got made because it's like okay so it, whoever was making it must must have known like this is just schlock like through and through but people they showed up they put the makeup on they you know they they got in front of the cameras the editor edited it all together <laughs> bless his heart and, and there it is it's on like youtube or whatever for free <laughs> but yeah. yeah it feels like one of those things that just takes your time away you're like no no yeah that that reminds that reminds me of that pat oswalt bit where he's talking about the movie deathbed the bed that eats people <laughs> and, he, and he's like talking about how bad it is and he's like guys listen craft services were ordered like carpenters showed up and they used their their muscle and sweat to drive nails into boards to build sets people fetched coffee people got up out of their beds in the morning to come record this fucking awful movie yeah that's exactly the kind of thoughts that were going through my head like there was work put into this and and all i all i felt was just like this hatred i was like my god <laughs> it's because I, I like the first puppet master movies they're fun and there's like this interesting kind of um this interesting kind of backstory to to how they work and what their motivations are and whatever and there's just none of that here it's just mm-hmm. completely gone now what about classics like uh the black death with sean bean oh scene bean love him Um, (laughs) so so i again i came across that i think on on youtube um i was just looking for medieval medieval kind of movies to to just put on during work and um i saw that sean was in one so i thought well it can't be that bad and (laughs) i have it on in the background and i'm kind of watching it every every like i because i'll be drawing and then i look up when I hear somebody get stabbed or something, but <laughs> of course, but yeah, but the, the beginning's kind of slow. It starts off in like a monastery and it follows that guy who plays in, in that Harry Potter spinoff about fantastic beasts. That guy mm-hmm. with like, okay. That weird upper lip. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. So he's in it and he plays as a, as a priest and it takes place during black death time. So he, uh, he volunteers to go with this group of mercenaries to this small town that is seemingly unaffected by the plague. And when they get there, they find out that the, this little town is full of pagans uh, that don't worship the, the Lord Almighty and they don't fear God. And the, the mercenaries are all God-fearing men, so they find this whole place just disgusting they're like oh there's all these beautiful women here disgusting uh there's no plague here disgusting and it's it it gets real interesting because you you're not really sure if the plague is caused by god himself and he's punishing people and because these people you know don't believe in god they kind of have this almost uh, magical protection against that or is it because these people have their own kind of powers from you know worshipping nature or whatever they have and it's it's this kind of interesting discussion of about belief and uh, I, it gets it gets pretty interesting I definitely recommend that one okay 
I'll have to check that out. I've seen that floating around, I think maybe on Shudder. I've never clicked on it. I don't even think I knew that Sean Bean was in it. Yeah, right. I think this was one of my COVID movies. Like, like I started I started looking it up when you were mentioning it, and I was like, oh, I remember this now. I saw this like three years ago or something. And yeah. yeah, it was It's good. a little yeah. slow at times, yeah, but it's not terrible, and it makes you think about certain things. Yeah. Yeah, there's a... So when you're talking about, like, thinking about uh, is this real or super-powered or whatever, mm-hmm. there's another series that I was watching called The Boogeyman. Boogeyman. Uh-huh. There's, okay. There, I think there are, like, three or four of them. I cannot find the first one at all anywhere. Cannot find it streaming anywhere. But, like, two through five are out there, and I watch them. And they make the terrible mistake of early on telling you that the boogeyman is real like there could have been like a great subplot of like is this is the person who sees the boogeyman actually killing the people or the supernatural being and then they just like blow their load on that way too early (laughs) (laughs) and like and it's just like oh okay well now the rest of the movie is just uninteresting because it's a ghost basically killing these people and it's like that's not an interesting story anymore so that yeah. yeah i find that like with with so many modern things uh with storytelling there's there's so much that they just give away too soon where a lot of the mm-hmm. best like things that are the most memorable to me are things where you, you're trying to figure it out yourself Right. And you don't right. know what's going on and you're kind of just confused and th- that's what makes it more scary. But then there's some movies where it's just like it starts and they're like, oh yeah, it, he's a killer clown. He totally exists and he lives in a sewer and you're like, okay, like that's fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, like, I feel like uh, there's a lot of modern storytelling where they, 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 they take the literal whatever it is and they beat you over the head with it instead of letting you come to your own conclusion, right? Yeah. Because, like, movies where you come to your own conclusion, those are movies that get discussed for years, if not decades, like like Blade Runner or, you know, any of these movies where it's like, oh, well, what did the, you know, was he really a, a replicant? Or, like, what did the, the ending mean? Like, was it all real or was it in this person's head? Like, those are usually more interesting than for me. So I guess I didn't talk about mine. So... I hate to be negative Nancy and talk about the worst first, but I will. Um, the worst movie I saw this year was a movie called The Lodge. And it's about a stepmom who goes out to a lodge with her stepkids. And they, I won't give it all away, but it was one of those movies that had an interesting supernatural premise and where you might not know. Uh, because of an unreliable narrator or narrators as to whether what's happening is supernatural or psychological. Um, But then it's definitely one of those two and that's it. And then the movie just ends and I'm just kind of like, Oh, well, yeah, that was a movie. My, my merit, my bad movie group, we started watching it and like, well, we're super into this movie. And then there's the big reveal. And then we're like, okay, well, we're done with this movie now. And we switched it. That's, (laughs) that's how, that's how I felt. Um, that was the worst one. My most disappointing one um, was Lamb. I really wanted to like Lamb because I thought it was going to be like The Witch. It looked like it was slow, brooding folk horror that had some weird lamb-human hybrid, and maybe there was going to be some like wild shit going on in the forest or whatever. But it was really just like an hour and a half of ASMR and then people muttering to each other, and there's like some yelling. and There's like one payoff shot in that movie that is not worth the barrier to entry of the other hour and 40 some minutes of your life. It was, I wish I had, I wish I had that time back. I would have watched so many other things, but not, not to just be all negative. My favorite movie I've watched so far this year is a movie called unwelcome. And it is a movie about red caps, little murder goblins. And, um, (laughs) I'll say if you watch the trailer and you think like, oh, that looks pretty all right. Like they might show the goblins a couple times. That would be cool. They show the goblins a lot more than I thought they would. And the practical effects were just chef's kiss. The only thing that would make the movie better is if a certain spineless character would have died at the end. Uh, He was a real bitch. Mm -hmm. Uh, But 
it was a it was a good flick if you like folk horror and you like goofy practical effects and little uh, goblins with knives oh yeah um, that sounds and awful. also relic relic was pretty good i won't give away the plot to relic um but it's kind of like a familial thing where there's this kind of like mother matron and crone setup um but the relic is actually a house um but yeah I, I won't get into it the special effects were pretty rad um it was a little claustrophobic at times in a really good way it was really well done i think relic and Wel- unwelcome were both on shutter so nice hats off to shutter for being like a legit streaming service have you guys seen the movie the ritual where a yes. bunch of dudes Absolutely. go hiking yeah. That's one of my favorites of recent memory, probably like past 10 years. That one sticks out a lot. Yeah, I just saw it recently. It was great, we, great monster design, too. It well, yeah. Oh, my God. I, I wrote. I actually wrote a whole Shadow of the Demon Lord adventure inspired by that movie because it was, it was so impactful to me. It was so well done. Um, uh, fuck, what was I going to say? I, oh, oh, yes. Before we leave the topic of horror movies... I'm the type of person who doesn't really like to revisit content, right? Like if I played a game and I beat it, I'm not going to replay it for five plus years. Mm-hmm. Same thing with movies. Like if I watch a movie, if it's really good, maybe I'll watch it a couple years later. Or if I have like friends over and they've never seen it, I'll be like, you guys got to see this. But normally not on my own time. I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to rewatch whatever replay, whatever. But earlier this week, I decided to rewatch John Carpenter's the thing. Oh God, and, masterpiece! And I just mm-hmm. yes, it is a masterpiece. I could that talk movie, about this movie the whole, for the whole podcast. Yeah, <laughs> no, me too, me too. Like from a cinematog, like from the cinematography standpoint, from the storytelling, from the visual storytelling, when people don't even say anything, to the tension, to the lighting, to the character development, just like it's such a fucking masterclass. Even the the soundtrack, like of course, because it was a John Carpenter movie, but like. It was one of those movies where I was like, I don't know, we'll rewatch this. It's a classic. Like, it'll be, you know, cozy or whatever. And, like, I picked up on things that I watched, you know, this time that I never noticed the first time around. And, like, I'm 39. I probably watched it when I was 35, and I didn't pick up on these things. So I really think it's worth rewatching certain things because be- I think at different phases in your life you get different things out of it or you extrapolate more or the meaning shifts or you just notice things you never did before. So my recommendation is everybody go out and rewatch the thing because it's like it's the apex of horror and practical effects. Yeah, and I I love the fact that it shares so many similarities to my favorite Lovecraft story at the Mountains of Madness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like that it's the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I wonder if that's just what it's based on. Because like I mean the, there's just certain things replaced but it's like it's 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 so well done yeah it's it's amazing mm-hmm. it's it's that style of uh there's a there's a term for it and i can't remember it uh it also happens in mystery a lot where you are stuck in a place with people and this happens in murder mysteries a lot one of them's the murderer like there's a lot of overlap and so like those do really well because there's the tension of like you maybe know one person is good because they are either the narrator or the detective or whatever that you can mm-hmm. rely on you know is the person that is the good person and everyone around them is suspect and mm-hmm. that sort of story like mountains of madness um there's a, like a bunch of poirot stories that do it uh there and like the thing like it's like who can you trust and like that resonates with everyone at that point yeah so yeah mm. it's it's universal horror mm-hmm. yeah it's exactly just the uncertainty the the, the fear of just not knowing mm-hmm. all right so guys this is a pretty good segue into our first topic so first topic of the night is horror game mechanics but more specifically can game mechanics themselves be horror? So you can make a horror video game or a horror role-playing game, and you can have all sorts of horrible, horrific, uh, horrendous things in the narrative. Um, I would argue that 
actually adventures in uh, role-playing games are the things that introduce horror more than like uh, the rule sets because rule sets are like generic mechanics and then like in Dungeons and Dragons you have Ravenloft and that introduced like horror checks and, and all these other things where you had to like or Call of Cthulhu where you have to check your character's sanity to see if they're you know if they can handle what they're seeing or witnessing or experiencing but so the, the question is, <clears throat> and another example I'll use, and probably was the inspiration for this topic in general, is the game Dread, where uh, you have a stack of Jenga blocks, and every time your character does something that may or may not introduce failure or death instead of rolling a die or, or some other mechanic, you pull a brick um, from this stack of Jenga blocks, and if you topple the stack, then you die, right? So, like, I think that we create horror within ourselves because you know we've we we have these mental images or if you're playing a video game you have an actual image that you're looking at but as far as the actual mechanisms in the game when it comes to rolling a die or pulling a block or you know in a video game where you're um let's say like amnesia that's one that comes to mind where mm -hmm. you know when you open a door you have to click and you have to pull and it kind of adds this like kinetic material uh, tangible aspect to the game where you're opening the door in game as fast as you would be as you're moving in real life essentially that's kind of like you know choreographed in that way is that is that actual horror or is that you know like if you took away the context of everything else and you just had these mechanics can mechanics actually inspire fear or is it everything surrounding those mechanics that is the thing that inspires fear that that's a really good question because i think context here really matters for example i i, I think it's great you brought up amnesia especially the the most recent one where you're stuck in a bunker and mm -hmm. you know you're stuck in this bunker with at least one creature and you mm -hmm. know that it can hear you because you can hear it and you you you're you're very you know slow at opening doors and even your flashlight makes a sound which i think is a good horror game mechanic when usually mm -hmm. a flashlight in a game is just click it on it's on you can see things yeah. you click it off it's off but this one it's like got the added uh bonus to to making a ton of noise so it you know reveals your location yeah because you have to wind it up right it's like one of those crank flashlights yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so you're you're basically trying to like lurk around with as little light as possible, you know, trying to just use like environmental lighting to your advantage. But when there is none, you're forced to crank on this flashlight and then you have to listen and see, is there anything creeping towards me? And then you have to make the decision which way to go and how fast do I go? So mm -hmm. removing that context, I think matters a lot because if, if your flashlight just makes noise in, a, in say, an FPS, you're just basically giving away your position. So it's not necessarily scary because you're like, all right, well, I got the guns. I can handle it. Right. But, but in a game where you're essentially unarmed or you have one or two bullets that you don't know will do anything, uh, yeah, it makes it, makes it terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th I think video games have a huge advantage over tabletop games for that sort of scenario because, first of all, you have a visual aspect of seeing what's going on, but uh, there's also more of a physical connect to you, the way you play the game. So, like, I've got to hold down this button to charge the flashlight. It's making noise. I can hear the noise. I, it, there's a there's an immediate visceral reaction to whatever you're doing that mechanically is harder to represent with dice. Because, or in tabletops, if you're using a Jenga tower, there might be a momentary setting of stress with that. Like, if I pull this block, like I'm stressed that the tower is going to fall, or I'm going to roll the dice and I roll a one on my uh, d20, like. Mm -hmm. there's there's that level of stress but that's not horrific that's just stressful right mm -hmm. um, right it, you're not thinking like you're not thinking like uh, your your mm -hmm. stress isn't coming from if i don't pull this block right a monster's going to come out of somewhere and kill me 
the stress mm-hmm. is like I'm gonna knock this tower over and then my character will die. Right. And that's not actually like fear as much as it is just anxiety. Yeah. And I I've played some tabletop games that actually represent fear of your character very well. So like the Alien tabletop RPG has a stress dice mechanic, which says like you roll a bunch of d6s, but then like as you become more stressed, you get these other special dice d6s that you roll that have bad results and good results on them. So like you might be better because like you got that adrenaline rush as a character, but uh, you more than likely are gonna mess up because you are your character is so stressed out. But again, that feels mentally like as a player, I, I can disconnect easier from a tabletop game. I can dis, I disassociate, I guess. I get that might be the right term, uh, because there's that extra padding of I can do everything in my own mind. It's like my my brain can either go one direction, make it way worse, but more than likely it's gonna see like you don't want to be stressed out man let's make this easier for you to deal with but Mm -hmm. like a video game that that's harder to get away from but also i think video games if let's talk about briefly of the difference between a horror and a scare so like a horror like is a constant feeling you are as the game goes along there's a raising raising of stakes of stress of feeling like something general like unease unease a scare is a momentary frightening like so like a good example for me is the fear series Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. it it is supposed to be a horror game but it's just a stressful game because what happens a lot of times they rely too much on jump scares yeah and so like a jump scare you're like oh crap like i'm frightened maybe it might even be like five ten minutes before you get over it but like that it is a passing feeling and i think video games rely on that a lot when they say that they are horror um yeah and so i i guess my question for you guys is like what do you think uh could induce horror in any of these scenarios go ahead like like for me sorry just to jump in for me the things that introduce horror like a, a sense of unease is like something that not only am I going to think about it while I'm playing the game, but I'm going to think about it when I'm done playing the game, when I'm uh, laying down to go to bed or when I'm just, you know, like walking or just doing some other task. And it just kind of creeps back into your head. Like Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of reliance on jump scares, especially in video games and even in movies nowadays. Sometimes you get these like shitty scenes that end where they jump cut and then the next scene starts with somebody like splitting a log with an axe or mm-hmm. like knocking on a door really abruptly and they're just mm-hmm. trying to like make you jump in your seat and to me that feels cheap right. um, yeah. like <clears throat> the game Soma really fucked with me because like it has all these questions of like kind of like your existence and your consciousness maybe a little bit of transhumanism because this you know your consciousness isn't actually in your body but it's still around and these are the types of things that like really make me think and then i yeah, think any other that time game got like a, to me for sure yeah yeah, yeah. it really did it's a, i i played it once i'll probably never play it again it's the same reason why i don't watch black mirror because i already idle at like a moderate to high level of existential dread and yeah. those things just push me way up over the edge yeah. and i'm like you know what i don't need this i appreciate it but i don't need it i'm not gonna like i'm good yeah um so yeah for me it's those things it's i think i i think i associate horror with dread or just any kind of um any kind of anything that kind of just takes a chunk of your mental bandwidth and just it's like this background process that's there for some amount of time and you can't make it go away i think that to me is is horror like and Mm -hmm. of course in the moment right like in alien isolation or in any other game where like you feel like you're being hunted or tracked or at any moment you know something could jump out at you the anticipation is probably the larger feeling than the actual payoff of when the monster jumps out it's the it's the moments before you or even when you just think it might happen and it doesn't you know yeah yeah uh going into that a little more i think with tabletops i games you can have that sort of horror 
but it's the person running the game. It, like you said, it's the adventure that you're playing. I'm not yes. sure the mechanics themselves are scary. You can I, take. I hate. I hate to give John Wick props for uh-huh. anything. I really do, but I will say that I watched an interview with him once. Uh, by the way, this is John Wick, the tabletop game designer, not Keanu Reeves' character from the acclaimed uh, movie series. Um, where he said when he ran horror games, he did things intentionally like he would set the thermostat in his home to be much colder than it needed to be to make people literally uncomfortable while they were playing the game, while they were exploring like an abandoned home or something like that that wouldn't have heat on. And I really, I really appreciate that because like you said, Ben, I think I think with video games, you, you everybody is seeing the same thing, right? If you play Soma, if I play Soma, and I go, hey, you know the part in Chapter 2? We saw the same thing, for better or worse. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's that shared experience of a movie or a game with some visual media. But role-playing games are all going on upstairs in your brain. And so that provides the unique situation, like reading a book, where... If one of you guys read Lovecraft and I leave, read Lovecraft and we're talking about unspeakable, unfathomable things, we're going to think of different visual things in our head, which is unique and potentially, you know, scary for different people. But there's no grounded experience. There's no piece of artwork or or sound or voice or literally anything that ties it all together for us. But I think tabletop games do kind of succeed more than other media where you have a mechanical representation of your character's mental status. In a video game, maybe you get a little hazy outline or you hear a heartbeat or something like that. But in a role-playing game, you can have a lot of kind of very specific stats or things that are disallowed, allowed. I mean, you could do the same thing in video games. I'm rambling, but you get what I'm saying. I think... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no go ahead, Sam. Oh, no. I was, I was just thinking about how... First of all, like... The, to lay the ground rules for horror, like you have to really think about what horror means to, to, to what person. Because there's a certain group of people that associate horror, say movies or video games, just with a visual aspect. They, mm-hmm. they don't associate it with the, with the dread or the madness or the terror kind of aspect because maybe they maybe they don't suffer from existential dread themselves. Maybe they're not, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mentally kind of, I don't want to say men, like developed in that way, but it's like they're, maybe they're, they're less susceptible to the thoughts of madness because their brain hasn't wandered, say, as far as somebody else's. And they're only really affected by things that are visual. Their, their brains don't wander so far into dark places or they don't let them to where they mm-hmm. don't associate oh somebody's crazy oh that's that's not scary you know they're just crazy like they can't mm-hmm. put themselves in the position of somebody who is literally mad right um, so yeah, that's like wired different yeah they're just wired different and so that's i think where a big disconnect of horror comes from is when somebody sees uh say that movie um uh was it called hereditary and some mm-hmm. people consider it, say, like, oh, it's a masterpiece. It's dark and brooding. And some people are like, well, that it didn't have any gore in it. It's not scary, you know? And it's like, yeah. well, it wasn't about that, you know? And no matter what you try to explain to the people who say, oh, it doesn't have gore in it, you're never going to bring across the point that it's scary because, oh, there's, like, this demon and there's, like, these kind of weird existential kind of things. And mm-hmm. they're just like, but it's, you know, I'll watch it. And I don't see anything scary, so I'm not going to be scared by it. And I don't know if that's like an IQ thing or if that's just a life experience thing or or what that really comes down to at the end of the day. But some people just will not be scared of movies without gore, video games without gore. And a great example is the the Mothman prophecies. Mm -hmm. That that movie is excellent and it's very scary. But it never shows any scary visuals. It's just mm-hmm. all hinted at. And it's interesting because the movie actually deals with people's perception of different things. Uh, I think they actually say in the movie that the, the Mothman or whatever, he appears differently to different people. He, uh, people see him as you know what they, what they are able to see kind of thing. 
Right. And yeah. with yeah, and like you said, with tabletop horror, it it really is all in the imagination. And some people just will never be able to even get into that mindset because A, they don't have a great imagination. B, they don't understand like why or how you would get into a, a mindset of being, you know, scared of something. And but then you put that person in front of, say, like Resident Evil uh what is it? What is it, six? The one that's set in or is it seven? The one that's set in like a house in America? Seven. Like Oh yeah. Seven yeah, yeah. The redneck murder yeah, family. Yeah, the one. redneck murder family one. And it's like that game is terrifying. Visually <laughs> yeah. terrifying. Um yeah, like no, nobody can tell me otherwise. Like there's nothing about that game <laughs> that doesn't make your skin crawl. And yeah, so yeah, I think that's like I, that's what it comes down to, especially with tabletop, is that without visuals some people will just never even mm -hmm. agree that an experience is horror you know yeah and i yeah. think that that's an important thing in tabletop which is why when jerry was talking about adventures and the gm being the thing that makes it scary is that you have to know your audience at that point you have to know what this person is scared of because like even the three of us around here who watch horror films we read horror books we live lovecraft we all have different opinions about what scares us but mm -hmm. like if you have a good gm or uh pick the right adventure that might scare most of your table at that point it might yeah. stick with them for a while um and so that's why having it just as a mechanic like just the mechanics on its own in amnesia are not scary right like oh you have to like move your mouse to open the door like whatever but like then right. you add yeah, the moving your mouse isn't scary intrinsically right it's like adding the atmosphere the no the stress of knowing that there's something else out there that can bother people and be horrifying so yeah. um so yeah that's yeah i i also think that not that not that we're having a contest here but i i think i really truly think that when it comes to horror as a genre i think that video games are potentially the apex of that medium. Not to say that horror movies aren't, but when you are playing a video game that's a horror game, you feel like you're part of it, especially if it's like a first-person game, which provides a whole other layer of accessing a person's emotions rather than just passively watching something. I think the times I've been the most scared watching any piece of or engaging with any piece of horror media it has been through playing horror games because you're literally in the driver's seat instead of just sitting on your couch now that's not to say that a good horror movie can't be horrifying it definitely can but i feel like video games have an added layer that uh movies and like tabletop games and and books can't really do even like i guess a, a really good example and I, I wrote this down earlier when Stan was talking, was in games like Phasmophobia, where when you play the game, the game is listening to your microphone and it's trying to pick up key words and then feeding that into a database and then spawning or doing things that fucks with you based on the fact that it's literally listening to you. Now, I know that's maybe intrusive and there's a whole other, like, you know... Yeah. discussion to have around that sort of technology but what i'm saying is that's another one of those things that like um currently a movie a book a tabletop game can't really do i mean i guess a tabletop game it can is if your gm knows you really well he knows the people at the table then he's going to be able to really get to people individually like i know for example that you know my wife has a certain fear i won't say what it is but if i really wanted to be an asshole and I was running a tabletop game for her, and I wanted to make her feel uneasy, I could put that in my adventure. But mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think it really comes down to the fact that video games are an experience, uh, whereas movies, uh, movies, I don't think it's really an experience because you sit there and you witness something. In, yeah. in video games, you, it, it doesn't just unfold in front of you. You're the one who has to press the forward button. You're the one yeah, who has you to affect click the, the mouse. outcome. Yeah. yeah. If you sit there in front of a computer, the video game won't play itself. You know, it's yeah. it's it's a yeah. literal experience. 
So yeah. that well, I think I think we should define it as like a passive experience versus an active experience at that point. Because like yeah, you're sure. still experiencing the movie in yeah, a yeah. way, but not in a as direct way as like a video game or tabletop RPG are gonna. Yeah, for, yeah. In the movie, yeah. you're you're not the one telling the character to to stay out of the room or to go in the room. You know, it, whatever yeah. happens happens not a, not because you want it to happen but because it's scripted it's, in that way right it's it's predetermined when you're playing a game it's it's more dynamic like you have to walk through the door you have to confront the scary thing whereas in a movie it's just going to it's just going to play it's in just going to happen if you're yeah. like if you're like I'm too scared I never want to walk through the door cuz I don't want to know what's going to happen next if you shut you it off and never play it you don't have to you're never going to experience it but like a movie is going to keep going whether you want it to or not. I mean, you can turn off the movie, of course, but you yeah, get what I mean. Right. right. Yes, exactly. It's yeah, exactly. Exactly I think, correct. Uh, movies and books, they the advantage that they have right now over tabletop games or video games is they've just been doing it longer. They yeah. know what works in those scenarios. And so once video games, uh, I think video games have really gotten to a point that they've figured out what's scary what's the one where you're working in the morgue um uh mortuary assistant mortuary assistant like i don't think i could ever play that game myself <laughs> like Mm-mm. yeah like i enjoy watching other people play it but i i think it's it's a very different experience for me to be sitting there doing this trying to hunt a demon that's possessed these bodies or whatever the mechanic is mm-hmm. and versus watching like a movie that would be the same sort of thing. It's like, I, it's again, we're getting to the, you can disconnect yourself farther from whatever's going on. If you're there actively participating in the event, uh, it's it's much more horrifying to do. And I think with a tabletop RPG, you could do that. Again, if you got the right DM, it doesn't matter what you're rolling to figure out if you fail or succeed. But if they can describe and bring you into that universe, mm-hmm. awesome. But the the game itself, D and D, is not going to be able to do that, like ever, like just by the mechanics of rolling dice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think if we come to a conclusion on this topic, the answer is, I'm not sure that any game mechanic, whether it's a video game or anything intrinsically, is horrifying. Whether you're clicking a mouse and dragging it, or rolling dice, or moving a block, or whatever, you have to have the other component of you gotta have the context yeah you gotta have the context you gotta have the narrative unless there's a game where you literally have to tightrope walk across a chasm or fall and die which sounds like a terrible game i don't think (laughs) i don't think that mechanics by themselves do anything without the other half to complement them yeah what i what i think mechanics can do well in video games is there's a conceit that you have that you are playing a character and that you represent what that character would do. So mechanics can help reinforce what the game wants you to do in that sort of scenario. So like insanity in Demon Lord or the stress dice in Alien can reinforce the fact that your character's panicking. Like you may be sitting at a table like eating beers and pretzels with your friends, but like your character is in a bad spot. So Mm -hmm. you are playing through that as if it was a movie or a book or something like that. Um, yeah. All right, guys. Well, we have uh, droned on far longer than I expected us to. Probably, I think, because uh, we're all having a pretty good time. So, what I think what we're going to do instead of making this podcast extra long is we're at least going to turn it into a two parter. It might become a three parter. Who knows? But there will at least be a part two. So, uh, we're going to wrap up for now, and um, you'll join us next time. We're going to talk about art in gaming, um, which is kind of an umbrella term, but I, we've got some pretty interesting subtopics to discuss in there, especially since we're joined by an actual artist here and not just two uh, armchair, uh, you know, uh, I was going to call us thespians, but that's not the word I'm looking for. Uh, armchair opinions, I guess. Um, but anyways, we're going to wrap it up. Um, Stan, is there anything I know that, you know, I know that I mentioned your, uh, Instagram and, uh, I will definitely put your Instagram, your, uh, t- 
TikTok and YouTube because I know you post to all those, at least I think. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you post to all those uh, so people can check out where you're at online. But is there any other projects that you've been uh, working on or that you want to talk about before we jump off here? Uh, yes, I'm so delighted you should ask. I recently <laughs> just finished uh, my first book. Uh, it's self-published. It's actually a children's book. It's called Benny Cleans Up. And it's about a skeleton who picks up trash. So okay. uh, I'm actually going to be going to the printers tomorrow to be picking it up. And I will be posting about it on my social media channels. And it will be available for sale through my website. And you'll be able to find links wherever on my social medias if you're interested. And that's, that's about it. Okay, very cool. I'm I'm really looking forward to checking that out. I know that I know that you told me you've been working on that, but I haven't seen any of it. I didn't know the title. Uh, that all sounds great. I'm assuming this is a is this a byproduct of becoming a dad? Is is that what inspired this? Uh, actually, what inspired it was back before I became a dad. When I would go take our dog for a walk, I would take a bucket with me, and um, like these trash pickers and I would just tr pick up trash around my neighborhood mm -hmm. and I've always wanted to write a kid's book because in my free time I write really bad songs and really bad <laughs> poetry and so I thought a kid's book would be a perfect fit and I didn't really know what to write about people say write what you know and I was like well mm -hmm. you know like I would like to influence future generations in some way in some positive way so mm -hmm. I, I i i know that i can't get older people to give a shit about you know the planet or mm -hmm. whatever happens around them but i think that i could get young kids to care uh and have some empathy towards you know their home planet that's Earth. fucking that's fucking beautiful man <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I just, I, you know, there's no getting to some, like, we're, we're the most divided as a people in this country, like, that we ever have been. It's, like, at an all-time high, and you can't get anybody to care about anything, and everything is just politicized, and mm -hmm. all people do is just take sides. They don't actually care what's, what's happening. They just want to be on a side, uh, yeah. and all I want to do is just make things that will either inspire people or to help them you know experience emotions or to just be nicer to people around them it's awesome man i love yeah. that yeah that's great all right so that'll be on beboslof.com yep soon yep soon. okay very soon all right all right guys well thank you for getting together uh today and uh we will do this again soon part two will be coming sometime in november so uh, keep your ears peeled for those. Check Patreon for updates as well as our Twitter, as long as Twitter is still around before it burns to the ground. We are also on Blue Sky as Black Candle Games. If you are on Blue Sky, uh, go and check things out over there as well. But thank you guys so much, and uh, I'll talk to you both again soon. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. <laughs>